Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust proof stainless steel hardware, weather ready teak, and quick dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com/acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com/acast. So, I worked in the education sector for 10 years. I was a teacher, a middle school teacher and a high school teacher, and then I worked in an education nonprofit, and I left education to come to divinity school because the system seemed so broken to me that I was like, this is a question about souls. The fact that we don't want to put all of our resources into loving and educating our children says something deeply bereft about us. And so I left that world about 10 years ago and it's gotten so much worse, you know, with school shootings on the rise and mental health problems with young people on the rise. And now with COVID, just the monstrosity of education that I left 10 years ago is just like an unimaginable horror to me now. And we're going to talk to Lacey today. Lacey is a teacher and, you know, she's sort of been fighting this dragon of education for the last 15 years. And she is wondering if it's time to leave, if this career in this world is just too hard and put that in conversation with how important the work is that she does. I'm Vanessa Zoltan, and this is Should I Quit? Hi, Lacey. Hello. Lovely to see you. Great to see you also. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about yourself. You are a teacher. What do you teach? Where do you teach it? All the things. Okay. So I'm a high school teacher. I teach history. Specifically this year, I have world history and I also teach AVID. What's AVID? Oh, AVID is a program that attempts to get historically underrepresented groups into university. So we take kids who are kind of in the academic middle and give them lots of academic support and kind of getting them the support they need to go to college. Awesome. But I've taught everything from sixth grade to 12th grade in a couple of different settings and schools. This is my 15th year teaching. And of all those grades, mm -hmm. tell me the truest difference between a sixth grader and a 12th grader. Oh boy. I actually had gone from teaching 12th grade down to sixth grade and I was like, okay, I'm going to figure this out. And on the first day when it rained, the kids all came in and they took their shoes off and they were like, where are the cubbies? And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Put your shoes back on. And so there was lots of things like that or the amount of kids who would like take their lunch and hide it in their pockets 
I was so ill-prepared for the amount of just social skills. That said, they were like super in love with learning and you talk about mummies and they're losing their minds and they're so excited to talk to you every day. And so that element of it was also very different from high school seniors in the spring. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to start walking into parties being like, excuse me, where's my cubby? I need a cubby. Um, yeah, you're much more of a parental figure with a sixth grader. You're still showing them how to function. Well, what question brought you in today? I like that I say that like it's my office. <laughs> what brought you here today? How would you like to start today's session? Why, why did you send in a voicemail? I sent in a voicemail because I have been grappling with whether or not I want to stay in teaching. I think I'm not alone in that. Pretty much every teacher I know is struggling right now. And I'm trying to kind of parse out how much of it is my own personal experience and stuff that's going on in my personal life, how much of it is the education system as a whole, how much of it is just post-COVID, this kind of blowback that we're getting. There's many layers to it, but none of it feels right right now, and none of it feels the same. And I don't know if it will ever go back to feeling the same. And that's what I'm trying to figure out is, should I quit teaching? Is that even an option? What do you do if your career is your entire personality and life. And that's that's what I'm trying to figure out right now. <laughs> I'm guessing you loved teaching for a while. Yeah, I did not know that I was going to be a teacher and really did not like high school myself, mm -hmm. but went straight into from undergrad. Um, when I was in my undergrad, I did a work study program where I worked in alternative education and helped with getting GED stuff for kids and really fell in love with that work and then went straight from my undergrad to my master's and credential program and then went straight into my first classroom teaching job. So I was like 21 teaching high school seniors who were like 18, which is wild to think about now. And there were for sure times where I was in love with my job and like mm -hmm. eat, sleep, breathe teaching. And I don't know now as a 36-year-old thinking back, like, was that really healthy to have so much of myself tied up in this job? And I think in the last couple of years, like everybody, I've been reading and reflecting a lot around the way that I define my work and how much my work defines me and whether that's healthy and where are those boundaries? And realizing that so much of the education system is built off of people just like martyring themselves and whether or not I want to be a part of that anymore. I don't know. It's a, it's a heavy question. <laughs> so you said that there were moments where you really loved it. Was there a moment in your career, and maybe not, obviously, where it was like a job and you felt like, I don't love this, I don't hate this, but it's my job and, you know, that's all it is? I feel like that's kind of where I'm at now. Um, oh, okay. So in all of this, I had a child. Mm -hmm. I went on maternity leave the day we shut down for COVID. My last Whoa. day of work was March 13th, 2020. And so I ended up taking the first year off that my daughter was born because I tried like one day of distance learning with a newborn. It was like, I can't do this. Yeah. So I took that year off and was home with my daughter and then came back last year and that was the first time in my life where I was like, I have to figure this out because I can't be a mom and a teacher at the same level that I was attempting to do that. So all of last year was very much like, I am here. This is a job. I care about these kids, but not to the degree that I usually do. And I feel like it showed like a lot of my curriculum and things that I normally do and projects like my heart wasn't in it. 
which felt really mm-hmm. gross and icky. And I feel like a lot of the kids came back that way too. And that was the complicated thing is I came back the same time that they did to in-person learning and everything feels different. The kids are closed off. There's like this weird wall that no one can break across. And so, yeah, it is this tricky thing where I'm like, I went through this major shift. The kids have gone through this major shift. I don't know if teaching will ever feel like it used to or that I will ever feel like that again. I don't know. Yeah. So what does it feel like now? It feels like, and it feels terrible to say this because I obviously still care about my students. I like care about them all individually. It feels like going through the motions a lot. And a lot of times right now for me, it feels kind of like arranging deck chairs on the Titanic where I'm like Mm -hmm. trying to get kids to care about the Haitian revolution and these things that I used to be very passionate about. And at the same time, there's like a part of my brain that's screaming and is like, why are we doing this? And... I've seen it in the kids. Like it's actually, I feel like part of it is the kids have lost faith that there are adults at the home. And then as a teacher, I'm supposed to be like, no, no, we have this plan. Everyone knows what we're doing, but I think I'm more on the side with them. (laughs) And it's a dangerous place to be as the teacher who's like trying to instill hope in them and create little agents of change where I'm like, I don't know, guys, I've been at this for 15 years and it feels hopeless sometimes. Yeah. Feels bad to me, too. Yeah. So tell why are you thinking about quitting? Because that sounds hard, but not miserable. And I want you to stop before it feels miserable. But what is going on that you're like, no, I got to get out of (laughs) here? So there's thinking of this last semester, there were kind of two defining moments that I feel like typify what it's been like this semester. Um, One, there's a student who was going through a crisis at home. I won't reveal too many details, but they shared part of their identity with their family and their family did not receive it well and they kicked them out. And so we quickly, the other teacher who approached me with this situation, created kind of a crisis plan for this kid, got them set up with a secure housing situation. It took like days of working very late into the evening, but got them connected with some services, got social workers involved, like everything got settled. And ultimately the person is in a much better place. But it was like four days of my life calling people, trying to figure out who could take this person in, trying to figure out legal rights, all of these things. And I'm now looking at that young person who is thriving and doing great. And I'm so grateful that I got to be a part of that. But at the same time, like I looked at it afterwards and was like, that was too much. Like and trying to teach, and I have a student teacher who I'm trying to mentor and all of this, where I was like, I can't keep doing that. And it bothers me that we don't have a system for kids like that, of like, we have a plan. We just rely on, oh, someone call Lacey. She knows a lot of good people who can help out. And that's not a system. Um, Looking around and realizing, oh, I'm the plan. Right. I was like, oh, I'm not a mental health specialist, but I guess I'm going to figure this out. And it makes me so mad that we've created a system that just relies on nice people's free labor. And so there was that. And I've been like ruminating and reflecting on that a lot. The other is that at the end of October, our school was one of, it turns out, a couple that got swatted. I don't know if you're familiar with this terminology. No. What what does that mean? So basically it is this horrific trend where people are faking school shooting events. Ah. 
what it meant for me was that that morning I was supposed to be going on a field trip to the university with my AVID students. And I actually had asked another teacher to stand in the room so I could go pick up our to-go lunches and get them on the bus. And when I came back to my classroom, the other teacher wasn't there. And I was like, what? And I look and my whole class is at the windows at the front of the school, which is on a pretty major thoroughfare. And I looked out the window and there was like probably 15 SWAT team officers running up with assault rifles. And then there was a helicopter and then there were police running at us. And I was like, okay, this is the worst nightmare scenario that I've had for 15 years. Here we go. And I immediately told the kids like, oh, it must be something off campus because we haven't gotten the alert. Then we get the alert. This is an active school shooter situation. We were locked in our rooms for about four and a half hours and we didn't know that it was a hoax. Yeah, of course. We eventually, like a couple hours in, got the staff got communicated that it was most likely a hoax. But the kids were getting reports that there were dead bodies on campus. There were multiple news reports that things had gone differently than it actually did. But after that day, I was like, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this anymore. Mainly because of the response from our district. They made us come back to school the next day and message to us, we need to make this feel normal for kids don't talk about it. Like we're moving forward calmly and normally is what they said. And the district kept reporting that all teachers knew it was a hoax. And that was not the case in my room. And maybe there were teachers who heard before I did. There wasn't a lot of communication happening. But it once again just felt like, I don't know, what is the point of teaching when I've built barricades with my students and had them pee in buckets in front of me? Like, what do I do with that? I don't know. So those two things have both happened in the last two months. And I feel like it's hard to even figure out what teaching is anymore because of all of this. That's what I was going to say. It's like, <laughs> it doesn't sound like you're a teacher. It sounds like yeah. you're a teacher, social worker, emergency services provider. You have a low ranking job in the armed forces. <laughs> and like you signed up to be a teacher. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's like doing all of that and then getting emails being like, make sure you have your learning objectives posted and you've like submitted your data for the benchmark assessments. And I'm like, I don't give a shit about the benchmark assessments. Yeah. I have kids here who are homeless and traumatized. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is like, so you have all these other jobs and then also people are gaslighting you about what you do, right? Yeah. Like the district is like, you didn't do that. That was actually really easy. That was normal. Yeah. Right. Like, if you're an emergency response worker, there are systems in place to support you in that, but they're pretending that that's not part of your job. Yes, that is the part that is very frustrating. I mean, frustrating, it's crazy making, right? Yes. The people who are supposed to be creating your world or supporting you in your work are telling you that you're not doing what you're doing. Yeah. So like these traumas have happened, COVID has happened, and then this other thing has happened, which you have had a baby. Mm -hmm. Congratulations on becoming Thank a mom. You. I'm wondering if you think that there would be a version of this that like if we lived in a functioning or even just like a more functioning education system, right? Like if you had had a baby 15 years ago, do you feel like you'd be like, no, I can be a mom and a teacher? Or do you feel like even then you'd be like, I can't give my all to both? No, I think that in the previous times, it seemed way more manageable. Yeah. And I don't know how much of that was circumstances of like the schools I was at or the districts I was at, or also just like pre-COVID, it felt like there was more of a community. It felt like, you know, teaching's always been hard. Teenagers have always been who they're going to be, but it didn't feel like this. It didn't feel like such an uphill battle. 
Yeah. I mean, just from my stepkids and then my friends with kids, right? Like it feels like they went back to school and school was just this totally different thing. And teachers are a totally different thing. The whole dynamic of school is different than it was in February of 2020. Yeah. I think back to the beginning of COVID and I mean, we kind of joke about it as teachers because in those early months, we were heroes and everyone was so proud of us for pivoting so quickly and providing these services. Now it is just a nonstop onslaught of reminding us of everything their kids missed out on. It was all our fault for being afraid. I can't believe we kept schools closed. And this like constant now iteration of like, my kid missed out on prom because of you. My kid can't do sports because of your COVID policies. What are you going to do to make sure that my kid still gets into Stanford after everything that happened? And it's overwhelming. And that's not even to get into the like critical race theory and all of these national conversations where suddenly all of our classrooms are a battleground for all of this, for gun control, for conversations about race and how we teach history to COVID protocols like the amount of emails that I get where I'm like, I did not know I was <laughs> the harbinger of all of this. I'm just trying to teach your kid about the Constitution. <laughs> yeah. This is not the job that I applied for. I know. Can you imagine like going to your boss with your job description and being like, um, I feel like that is actually outside of the scope of what you hired me for? Yeah. And that's what teaching is right now. It's a catch-all for all the things. And, you know, we're not getting paid anymore for any of the extra duties. Right. So five years from now, let's say you keep teaching. Mm-hmm. How, how is your health? I don't know. It's hard for me to picture doing what I'm doing now and continuing at this pace. I feel like something has to change. I have basically tried this year to pull back and I stepped down from as many extra committees. I've still, of course, gotten like roped into all kinds of things but I'm trying to say no more and see what the job feels like. Yeah. And it doesn't feel the same and it doesn't feel good. <laughs> and I can recognize that piece. What's hard for me is to picture doing anything else. Mm-hmm. And like my husband constantly is asking me, like he's very supportive of me changing and is like, so what are you going to do? And it feels like the most crushing question where I'm like, I just, I've never done anything else. Yeah. And if I try and get another job, like I literally just have a teaching credential and a master's in education. It's not like super transferable to the other, to the private sector. There's not a lot of people like lining up so that I can teach them about the containment policy during the Cold War. (laughs) Most employers aren't looking for that right now. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, let's put a pin in that conversation because I disagree, but, (laughs) but it's it's really great that you've sort of run this experiment of like doing less and being like, this still just feels like crap. And I don't know, this sounds so dramatic, but like it a little bit sounds like this job is killing you. Yeah, it doesn't um, doesn't feel good anymore. <laughs> so if you were to quit. Would you have time to figure out what's next or financially? Would you be able to take a school year off to sort of do informational interviews, like go around and talk to other former teachers and sort of see what's out there? Do you feel like I would need a job within two months? I like can't take a break. Yeah, I do have 
a bit of wiggle room. It does get tricky because of the way that our funding is continually being cut. They have to figure out how much full-time employment we can offer to our existing teachers. And we, like everybody, are facing cuts. So my decision will impact the employment of my colleagues. Technically, right now, I've gone down to a reduced contract this year. I'm at uh, 0.67, so I'm not even teaching full-time is the other piece. After last year, I decided to give up an afternoon class, and it still doesn't feel right. So if I come back to my full-time contract, we have to lay somebody off. If I leave completely, I'm hoping they would hire somebody in my place, but I think they're just going to increase everybody else's class sizes. And so that is the other piece of figuring all of this out is I feel very beholden to other people who I care very deeply about what me leaving, what that could look like. But that said, I still could figure it out. Um, The fact that I took that year off to be home with my daughter, like we made it work financially. It wasn't ideal, but we could figure it out. It's the icky feeling too of like, I know that our families were much more understanding of me taking that year off because I had a baby. Right. If I was having another kid, our district lets you take unpaid childcare leave anytime in the first five years of your kid's life. And so I could, in theory, say I'm going to stay home for another year with this little one. I won't get paid, but then I will give me the window to come back. But then I feel like I'm just like, what am I doing then? I had a boyfriend in college and we were supposed to go on a double date with this other couple and they were late and they it was then going to be a lot more expensive than they said it was going to be and just on and on. And so finally we were like, we're going to go. And they were like, why, why? And I kept giving reasons. I was like, oh, it's too expensive. It's more expensive than you said. We'll pay for you. Like they just kept coming up with solutions. And finally my boyfriend at the time said, we don't want to. And just like <laughs> turned on the car and we left. And I looked at him and at the time I was in awe, right? I was like, I don't want to. You're just allowed to say that. You're right. allowed to that's say, I don't want to. And like, that's what I want for you. Like, I don't want to anymore. Right? Like, yeah. that's enough of a reason. You're allowed to just say, I don't want to. Yeah. There is this level of guilt in leaving teaching Because part of what it is to be a teacher is to like be in the trenches with everybody and to know how hard it is. And I think about the amount of like student teachers that I've had who have gotten into this workforce. And I'm like, and now I'm just going to peace out and be like, good luck. Like, I'm out. Well, don't say it like that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Be like, good luck. I'm going to (laughs) go. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, I asked you if you thought that this would kill you in five years. Do you think it'll a little bit kill you in one? So I had dreams of this year going down to this part-time contract of like, okay, I'm going to teach my two classes. I'm going to leave every day at lunch. I joined a gym. I was like, I'm going to work out every day. I'm not staying for meetings. I'm going to pick up my daughter from daycare and we're going to do fun stuff. We're going to go to the beach. We're going to, of course, none of that happened. I immediately got roped into teaching a class I didn't want to teach because that teacher went on maternity leave and they couldn't find a sub. I got roped into this grading committee thing that is stupid and blowing my mind. So if I could, in theory, actually create a part-time contract and walk out that door and hold firm on these boundaries and not take those phone calls of we have someone in crisis and we need you. I don't think it would kill me. 
I could stay for another year and really try to redefine what this would look like. But I I, ha- I don't have a great track record of doing that. <laughs> oh, but hey, 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 the school system doesn't have a great track record of yeah. letting you do that. It's true. And I think I've realized this year that I have created a role for myself in which I am the nice person that does everything. I'm not very good at saying no. And like, I, I often try and think about modeling my career now after I have a male coworker who's been here forever. And I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen him at a meeting. He doesn't check his email. He makes more money than I do. And I'm like, what would it be like if I was more like Nick? No one's going to fire Nick. He's fine. He likes what he does. And then he leaves on his mountain bike and like whittles in the woods or whatever it is he does. Like he seems to have hobbies and isn't crying in his car before work. What's it like to be Nick? (laughs) So I know there are people who can do this. Maybe I just need to do that. (laughs) So I just, that's not going to be possible. Like that's just not going to be possible. You're not Nick. Also, like Nick started with a different mindset, right? Like Nick started teaching what in the 80s or 90s. And so his muscle memory within this institution is different. And so people don't expect him to do things like that's just not who you are or how the system sees you. And so like, sure, we should all try to be more like Nick, but like, (laughs) and I asked that question of, can you do this for one more year? Because to me, it's clear that you can't, that it is killing you. Like you're not the problem. You're, a victim of this system and the system is tricking you into thinking that you are part of what makes it good Mm. when really you are just another victim of it. Like you really (laughs) are. And so to me, this isn't like a difficult decision, like get the frick out of there. (laughs) And maybe in your next job after five years off, you can come back and call yourself Nick and, you know, (laughs) get a mountain bike. But, like, you're never going to be Nick. But at minimum, like, a big old break. Yeah. Yeah. This is torture. Like, you're in war, and they're trying to pretend that you're not in war. That is very much what it feels like. And Nick's a general who's, like, walking around in the (laughs) back. Nick, like, legitimately has the skills to fight in a war. I... We've always joked, like, when shit hits the fan and we're, like, actually being asked to build barricades, I'm like, yeah, that's why Nick and I are friends. <laughs> oh, I know he's probably got weapons in his desk. I've got nothing. <laughs> I've got too many Post-its. It's not going to be successful. Death by paper cuts. You never know. I know. Man, when they do our active shooter trainings, we're supposed to be able to look around the room and figure out what we'll use as a weapon because we're now being asked to fight. And I'm like, shit, all of the English and history teachers, all we have are books. We got nothing. At least they've got like protractors and compasses in the math department. And that <laughs> that's the status of teaching. Right but here's now. the, like, that is the problem, right? Yeah. That is what is crazy, not you. Get out of there. Like, that is absolute madness. But then how do I turn around and send my kid into a school building? And like... How do I, that's the part that kills me is I'm like, literally all of my friends are teachers. My best friend teaches above me in this building. Like my husband is a, was a teacher. He's now a vice principal of an elementary school. I believe in public education. It is like a core belief in my being. And it is so disheartening to think that I'm a part of this organization and this institution that I care so much about knowing all of the flaws, knowing what it actually is. 
that's where I feel like I'm like in this moral quandary. Sure, if it was just me and my little bubble, I'd be like, I'm out of here. How do I know that all of my my kids and my friends' kids and all these people I care about are going to go walk into that building whether or not I am in there? And let's figure out what's best for them on a case-by-case basis. I guess just if this was impacting your best friend in the same way it was impacting you, wouldn't you tell them to quit? Yeah. Like this is happening to you. Yeah. And you guys aren't soldiers, right? Like, yeah. Like this is the world that we're in and let's fight for a better world and let's not have you die in the meantime. Yeah. Yeah. I think about the year that I was at home with my daughter and I realized how much of my life was defined by the confines of teaching. And it it felt like this huge monumental shift in my life. And then to come back to the classroom and be like, oh, it's all just continued on. And like, sure, there was COVID and big disruptions and whatever, but like there's still a classroom full of kids and they need an adult in the front of the room. And and that part of it, like there's always going to be more kids and there's always going to be more people who need. It's just a matter of figuring out if I'm in a place to provide that right now. Right. Like eventually in 80 years, you're going to die and you're not going to be like, but I can't leave the kids. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like you're a gift. And so it'll be different without you, but like. They'll be fine. (laughs) They'll be fine. Yeah. And maybe they'll actually start like building some systems in place if it's not just people signing up to do it for free. (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully. Well, Lacey, keep us posted with what you do decide. I will. And good luck. Thank you. <laughs> I hope you quit at least for a little while. Yeah, I think I think that's what I want. A little while seems like maybe the first step. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you. This has been Should I Quit? Our show is 99% funded through you, our listeners, through patreon.com slash realquestionpod. If you are a regular listener, if you are listening to my voice right now and the episode has come out in the last 48 hours, we would really appreciate your support. Another way that you can support this show is by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening. It helps new people find us. And we think that we're very cute and should be found. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Real Question Pod and Twitter at The Real Q Pod. A shout out to our BFF tier patrons, Molly Real, Laura Lorber, Kristen Hall, Mary Margaret, Becky Boo, Jenny Cruz, Amanda Schramm, Effie Hugh, Stephanie Fetterwish, Biddy, and Ari. We are a Not Sorry production. Ariana Nettleman is our executive producer. Our music is by Nick Bull. We are distributed by Acast. Thank you so much to Lacey for joining us today, to Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Lara Glass, AJ Yaramas, Hannah Rehack, Margaret H. Wilson, Courtney Brown, Casper Turkyle, Stephanie Paulsell, and a special thanks to all of you out there who are teachers. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, 
crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.